today I have with me Vidya Warrior. She is a Kathak dancer, teacher, and a filmmaker. She's been learning dance since the age of five and has received her degree in Kathak from Prayag University in Allahabad and now seeks to use dance and the visual arts as a medium to convey a powerful message. And she currently runs a YouTube channel called The Dancing Warrior, where she seeks to marry her two biggest passions in life, yoga and dance. Vidyadi, how are you? I am good. How are you? I'm pretty good. So, uh, just to start off with, uh, I saw a recent video of you like in Tennessee and so you made, made a move recently. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Uh, so, I did move. I was in New Jersey for a while and then I moved down here to Tennessee in the middle of the pandemic um, to my parents' retirement house here. And uh, this place uh, is actually in the middle of the forest, in the middle of the Cherokee forest. Yeah. And it's... Um, Probably it's like this phase of my life where it's just one thing is complete uncertainty. Another thing is being in this whole very close to nature is really helped nurture my dance and um, just being here. So, yeah, that's what's going on. <laughs> so that, that kind of brings up some questions there, I guess. Uh, so, so since you're kind of in a place that's a little more remote than, say, New Jersey, uh, yeah, you, there's the one part where you're connected with nature, but then you you have you lost that connection, and but then you're a little less closer to, I guess, the artists in that area, or like the the connection you had, the access you had to artists in New Jersey. Now with the pandemic, the access can be you know argued, but is, have you felt a trade off? How how has that experience been like for you? So initially, when I moved out of New Jersey, I was I was kind of feeling down because I was taking classes with uh, Guru Archana Joglaker, mm -hmm. and that was just such an opportunity. But then when I moved here, it was very difficult being online. So I was actually a bit down about that. But then it sort of has blossomed in another way because I am finding that uh, as a dancer or even as any kind of a creative, the more time you spend alone without a lot of influences, although it's priceless to be under the watchful eye of a guru and that constant um, nurturing that a guru would do for you. Being on your own has this very beautiful way of making you explore, making you more go much deeper into yourself, much deeper into your art. That is what I'm finding. Sometimes it's nice to dance with people, but just doing it on your own makes it very internal, very deep much more authentic in my experience. Uh, it's been eight months now since I've been in New Jersey, I'm sorry, in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. um, there's something very inspiring about nature, the way that like the branches kind of fall and everything has, a, has an ung to it in its own way. Well, one more thing I wanted to share about um, just being here mm -hmm. is about the Riyadh. Uh, yeah. Riyadh, to me, uh, before it used to be kind of just shuttling between work, like a few hours Whenever work allowed me to, I would do my riyas. But right now, because my whole work situation has changed, a lot of my time is in my hands. Yeah. I'm getting to a lot of riyas at night, which personally for me, hmm. um, I enjoy it a lot. I, I'm kind of a night owl. I like to work and dance and everything at night. Mm -hmm. And that is beautiful because actually I got inspired uh, watch, uh, reading Birju Maharaji's um, interview where he was saying how for a few a phase of his dance sadhana mm -hmm. he would switch off all the lights and just keep the gungurus on and just dance like that and yeah. i was like whoa i have to experience what that is okay um, he said he didn't want to see himself he just wanted to feel himself 
And at that time, I didn't really get what that meant, but it sounded intriguing. And then I started trying it myself. So I, right now, like my Riyadh is going like after dinner, I'll have a really light dinner, give it a break for an hour or so, and then mm. light a lamp. Mm. I light a lamp and then I just do my Riyadh. Okay. I can't explain how meditative and um, penetrating, penetrating the sense very deep inward going that processes so that's another thing that's opened up just being here where there's no real nine to five mm-hmm. um, is being able to find out your own body's tune okay um then i guess that brings up some novice questions in the sense so if you're dancing in the dark <laughs> how do you do chakras if you can't spot something or can you do chakras how does that work because you you can see enough to do to make a spot right like mm. you can some reflection of something here or there okay enough to do the chakra practice okay Yeah, so it works. I see. Okay, and had a question. And the question about this, you you said dancing in nature. Since you're in Tennessee, that has the fall and the summer and the winter, so you kind of get to see everything. Mm-hmm. So how? And since you've been there for eight months, I'm assuming you've seen kind of all the seasons. How has the change in season affected your dance? Oh, that's a beautiful question. Um, now when I look back, I I feel all of our Indian dances is just. Mm-hmm. somehow trying to mimic nature because everything from our hastas our mudras and even if you look at the names that uh, pandit bijumaraji has given for many of the hastaks and everything they're all about like you know vayu or pushpak and you know they're all about some element of nature and i strongly feel that all these indian dances started from looking at nature looking at the cycles everything goes through um in terms of i cannot give a concrete thing like in autumn i dance like this or in winter i dance like this not like that necessarily but it's very much um like the way i approach even if i do one particular toda the way i approach that toda will have a different a different flavor to it um depending on the whole mood and the whole weather that obviously affects your mood and the scenery that's around you you try to you try to fit into that scenery a little bit more at least i have been doing that I can't concretize and say this is what it is but there's definitely a difference mm-hmm. um in the approach. Okay, okay. So that's good now we're all caught up with kind of where you're at right now and how that's affecting your dance. And so I guess let's go back a little bit then just a little bit. <laughs> But yeah, how did if you could tell us how did you start dancing? Mm. How did that begin? Oh, I started dancing. I think my parents had no choice but to put me in dance class. Anybody would come to the house, I would be like, "Watch me dance." And I put them on the uh, on the sofa, mm-hmm. put on some music and just do my own jig and it would be some bhajan or whatever. And then my parents were like, "Okay, we have to put her in dance class because she obviously really likes it." So, got into Bharatanatyam and then out of actually it was out of a fluke that my dance teacher was also a Kathak uh, teacher and mm-hmm. she's uh, Guru Ashoka Rao. She's a, a direct disciple of Guru Arjun Mishra. So I was actually just learning Bharatanatyam from her South Indians mm-hmm. that's obviously what my parents were inclined towards right. but uh, what happened was for one of her performances one of the girls got sick so they were like mm-hmm. she was like I was out of the kutis or out of the young group I was probably a senior in the younger group and she was like can you just learn this little tarana to fit it, to fill in the spot because this lady's sick and you know we really need somebody there so I learned it and then I liked it so much when it just kind of gelled like that that was when I was 8 So mm. then I went on to do my Arangetram in Bharatanatyam as well as my Rangpur Vaishnav Kathak. So I had like, like a simultaneously. Yep, That's I mean impressive. yeah and then What? in the end I did a Jugal Bandi with Bharatanatyam and Kathak but all in the same I, night like mm, okay I ended up sticking to Kathak 
for various reasons i think i um found it more flowy i could i feel like i could do a lot i maybe the way i was taught i felt it was more flexible in a way in mm. my perception probably i did not go enough into bharatanatyam to understand how that can be also made very flexible but i felt like on kathak i was always on my feet i was always whirling around i could just kind of flutter like a leaf i i didn't have to make the I don't know there's something structurally very different and more appealing to Kathak for me. Okay, so right after my Arangetram I uh moved to India that was in I was in a 17. I had taken the Isha Yoga program with Sadhguru by then and that had changed my life that had changed my dance that had changed everything the meditation aspect. And I actually got trained as a yoga teacher traveled around India there for a year or so and then I did many things in the Isha Yoga Center in Kolkata. I was there for a total of 11 years. The biggest highlight I think of being in India was the opportunity to dance for a live deity. Mm-hmm. There's a uh, a Linga Bhairavi Devi who is which was consecrated by Sadhguru in front of all of us in the year 2010. I had this opportunity to dance for the Devi on the right after she was born born means after the consecration after the pranapratishtha that was done very a meditative kind of an experience and i think until that point i was very much a performer very much enjoying the attention enjoying the applause enjoying looking good you know all that which is what every dancer is a part of the dancer's life but mm-hmm. by the time bhairavi entered my life dance moved from being a performance to uh, an offering a way to work towards bhakti okay. which was not in my life until bhairavi devi i did uh i actually got the opportunity to choreograph a uh, pornami puja that means on the full moon days we would we created a one hour puja the quality of the offering has a certain reverberation like one may be cooling one may have a very invoke a very um serene aspect of the devi one may invoke a very fierce aspect of the devi you know mm-hmm. but a devi has different forms so depending on that we made different dances which suited that nature to think about choreographing steps which have a flavor of the devi in that that mm-hmm. really opened up many things in my mind and in my heart yeah um so that was a huge shifting point Okay that is interesting I'm so yeah we're talking about the temples and talking about like the offerings you did and when you say offering does that mean like a for lack of a better term a choreography I guess it's not right to call it a choreography right that's why you're calling it an offering it is a choreography we had six steps yeah. um, and it's it's a dance for anyone who's watching they could call it a performance but the thing is in our mind it wasn't a performance because whoever is sitting there you just blank them out Okay. all you have in your mind is the devi and you're only mm. offering and dancing for her so a puja can also be a dance then if so done dance, the right way absolutely i mean indian dance all of it from the north to the south everything evolved in the temples right like even kathak it started as story as a storytelling art form where people okay. would go from village to village and they would tell stories right. tell stories about one thing is about even little stories that happened in this village and whatever whatever they may tell that story or crisp stories about krishna rama like when they went to the temples the priest would say please tell a story about this deity and they would set up a stage you know how every temple at least in the south and in the north there are many invasions and all that's happened mm-hmm. so a lot of things have changed mm-hmm. traditionally every temple will have a stage right, right. Oh, where, you know that hmm. Oh yeah and the purpose of dance was for the 
for the divine in India. And okay. also the way that the mudras are made, the way that the music is made, it's all, it's all very designed to invoke certain things in the human system, okay. in the body and the mind and everything. So in, I mean, from the root of dance is for the divine, for as an offering. Okay. So, yeah. Understood. And I guess on that note, just this is more for my clarity, I guess. So since a lot of the Kathak performances start off with, say, a Vandana, is a Vandana the same as a Puja or offering? Are they different in some ways? No, no, they're the same because you start okay. invocation, right? And mm-hmm. in Kathak, the Vandana, it's, the Vandana is usually just a two-minute thing, whatever. But in, right. uh, in other dance forms, like very traditionally, like I, I was reading about uh, Dr. Padma Subramaniam, her, her speaking about how the initial part of a dance performance was how it was a puja and they would have actually have materials. They'd actually almost like do a puja in the dance. Hmm. And so it's very strongly oriented towards spirituality. Um, but now, of course, we've woven in the influence of the, the Mughal influence and the Persian influence, which is all beautiful, aesthetically very beautiful. But for me, the richness of dance is only when I can keep that context in my mind. Then I feel, wow, this is such a boon to be able to do this. Okay, understood. Okay. Yeah, that helps. And since you're talking about spirituality, and that's something I've kind of been always interested in because yeah, like I'm not very religious myself. And uh, so, because uh, and Kathak has such a huge religious aspect to it. That's the part. Like even things like say Bhumi Pranam, like uh, I do it, but I'm like mm, I don't want to do it. But so it's like one of those things. Yeah. So uh, I've always struggled with like the religious aspect of Kathak because that's something I don't really relate to, and like the cut, like the actual dance aspect of it, and putting that together. Mm. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, I did too. I mean, growing up here, I grew up in Michigan, so. I was like any other Indian American, like, okay, this is my culture. I'll do namaskar and all that namaste and like, you know, all the awkward kind of things that Indian Americans do to please their Mm -hmm. elders and all that. So I was very much in that space. But I also don't consider myself very religious, but I would say Bhumi Pranam and everything has really changed in my experience ever ever since I started walking the path of yoga. Because Mm -hmm. in yoga, we've got... So many processes that we start recognizing the earth as um, the divine, that this earth is your own mother, that our bodies have come from the earth. Mm-hmm. I think once I experientially started feeling that, yes, this earth is my mother, um, not as an intellectual thing, but really feeling mm-hmm. experientially that, yes, this is where I have come from. Then Bhumi Pranam, everything is like, wow, so beautiful to do. So I think religion... Even for the students I teach, I never talk about religion. I always try to make it as relatable for them because it's only how much you can relate with anything that you can pour yourself into it, right? You can't suddenly tell somebody, okay, do this bhakti piece on Krishna when these they don't know what Krishna is. They don't mm-hmm. know why. You know, you have to mentally, emotionally, in every way relate with something. So I always try to make, bring that relatability to my um students so that mm-hmm. then at least to the extent they can relate at least to that extent they can involve because that's what's worked for me okay relatability hmm. and um yeah i guess after this the next thing let me see 
because that's when I'm just thinking about the whole relatability thing and coming from the earth. And yeah, I guess uh, one thing here I wanted to discuss is like uh, for the past few months, I've started meditating a bit. So I started off with three minutes a day. Now I just do three minutes twice because that's all I can take <laughs> doing it consistently and not hating it. <laughs> I, I don't really get uh, to a point where I, I really think about stuff. I just do it to calm myself and just prove to myself that I can sit still without doing anything just for the sake of it so that that's why i do it just like before work and after work that kind of a deal um what are your meditative states like i'm very curious um so i i don't really try to like there's an one thing about meditation and anyone who does gets into meditation is an expectation of experience because people say oh this will happen to you that will happen to you and so right now when people talk about meditation or yoga a lot of them are either talking about headspace or um i don't know what else is out there but all kinds of things that are just kind of on the internet or just like mm-hmm. that like just learning it on a very surface level but actually <clears throat> but actually when we talk about yoga and meditation it's a transmission it's not really it's not like you read a book and say okay i understand yoga now or you watch a video mm-hmm. and say okay i'm a yogi now it doesn't really work like that it's an energetic process it's an energetic giving that's done and i think in kathak also that's that kathak or any indian dance any art form in india has that aspect of a guru initiating like um giving a part of their sadhana to the disciple giving a part of their knowledge or their whatever they have earned through their years giving it to the disciple so i've seen that in kathak so in a way that's also what happens when you go to a spiritual guru uh it's important you go to one who has the right intentions because right now there's so many kinds of stuff happening in the name of spiritual guru that it's almost a shameful um topic many times mm-hmm. but i stick to what sadguru's offered because i know very clearly it's it's working in a very amazing way and mm-hmm. it's authentic called um, isha kriya where it's really simple because you just kind of have to sit and follow the instructions you don't have to think like okay am i doing it right is it over am i have i sat it for enough time or anything you know when it's guided and when somebody is kind of telling you what to do okay. uh, it it helps and also it all it's also really important that it's it's from the right person it's not just right now i feel like there's too many people trying to do guided meditations that don't really necessarily know what that is so that's why i always stick to what sadguru offers because i'm very clear that whatever he's teaching is coming from his own experience okay. and that it that that's what gets translated in the meditation so um, so his app is called isha kriya then uh there's an app called app called sadguru app and in that you get okay. yeah and you just put that um put it on i think it just takes 12 minutes to do and so there's not a lot of you know all the struggle mm. of uh what should i do have i done it right what am i doing you know all that so that's a really easy way and that's um one beautiful meditation that then it's helping a lot right now especially during the pandemic okay where you know, all this uncertainty is happening right. um it's just a boon okay yeah i mean yeah i have i i only use i've only used calm so i haven't actually used any of like the indian meditation practices and things like that so that would be good to get into so i'm going to try that out 
Okay. And I do have a Sadhguru question if you don't mind me asking. So my exposure to Sadhguru has only been the YouTube stuff where he's talking to students and like, you know, the really popular ones where somebody asks him like a leading question and he answers and there's a huge round of applause. That's all I know about him. So you obviously know a lot more than I do. So could you tell us a little bit about what do people miss about him or what aspects of him do people don't know unless they really get to know him? Oh, at least in my uh, experience, uh, which is just beautiful to see how um, a person can change their personality, change their interactions so fluidly. You also kind of see that there's a, a way to live without being rigid, without any sense of calculation. I would say I would never have looked at dance or kathak unless I had started doing my yoga practices. Okay. I guess that's a great segue. So, uh, how da- so just to put, like go deeper into that, how did how did how was your kathak influenced by yoga? So, one big aspect is yoga is also a very internal process where you bring your entire system focuses in one direction, your mind, your your everything to move in one place instead of being scattered all over. In the same way, when when you start doing that in yoga, in da- for me when I start doing my dance practice that that same striving happens and I, I don't want to be a scattered dancer that's thinking about is my hair looking good or have I smiled enough or is my eyebrow high enough or all that stuff um you you want to bring yourself center yourself you want to focus yourself so I think as I started practicing yoga that same internal striving has also come into my dance oh, that's it also it also helps me help helps me to understand that um the the contrast between stillness and movement that's a very fundamental uh aspect in in dance also about especially kathak where we have our sudden sudden statuesque type of a pose and then again we'll, we'll go into movement and there's a whole uh, I've heard many of the gurus talk about bringing movement into the stillness or bringing stillness into the movement all this dynamism that is there um is very much reflected when we look at Shiva. Shiva as an Ataraja who dances wildly with abandon and then the next moment he sits absolutely still. So this contrast between stillness movement um, is something that I feel is very close to uh, the yogic path as well as dance. Okay, so I'm having a little bit of difficulty wrapping my head around the whole, you said, bring movement into stillness and bringing stillness into movement. is there an example you can give for each of those just to clear that up for me? Sure. What I work on myself is, for example, when we end on Assam, you know, mm-hmm. there's many ways of ending on Assam, you end like this. You don't just stand like this with this, with a stone-like ending. There's a dynamism and an energy even in that single pose, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, haven't if you if you watch Katak, like if you see somebody like Maharaji, um, or anybody, when they end on a sum, there's an energy about it. It's not just a still kind of a, uh, a death. It's not a death-like stillness. There's an energy and a dynamism about the way the eyes are. There's an approach, there's an intention, but there's stillness at the same time. They're absolutely still. You don't move on a sum, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the dynamism that I, I've kind of tried trying to bring into my own um, dance. Mm-hmm. And then in movement also, it's there's a stillness because it's in control. If you want to be in control of anything, you need an inner stillness, right? Mm-hmm. 
So when you're moving also, you need that stillness in order to bring that control. Otherwise, if you don't have that stillness, oh. you lose the control. That's what I'm doing. Okay, fine. That makes sense. <laughs> I get what you're saying. Those are great, good examples. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, that helps. And then next thing I want to ask you is, yeah. So talking about stillness, talking about how yoga interplays into this and how you've been influenced by this. One thing I want to be very curious about is say progression. So Saint Kathak from the way I see it right now is like, you know, if I do my practice and that you know, new things get unlocked, like there's some certain compositions that are kind of out of my grasp because my feet don't move that fast yet. Or like I can't do so I can't do like two chakras on the same beat or thing. So there's certain things that are like locked for me right now. And as I progress, those things become available. So in say yoga, and first of all, do you think of yoga and meditation as the same thing or the separate things? Uh, so generally the experience that we all are talking about yoga fundamentally means union. It means mm. a certain oneness of everything. So how we get to that yoga experience, and that's how that's how in India all the art forms develop. There's singing yoga, there's uh, nada yoga, right? Using sound to attain to that state of yoga. So there are so many types of uh, paths to yoga. And that's fundamentally how all the Indian art forms developed in the first place. Okay. The question, I'm sorry. <laughs> that, no, that was, that was my exact question. I, my mind is blown. I had no idea, honestly. So. Oh, yeah. People may not use the terminology because they don't understand why we're calling this a yoga. But if you look deeper, everything, I'm sure there must be somebody calling Natya yoga. There is the word yoga very much involved in the arts. Uh, because they were fundamentally created by people who were in that state of yoga. And then they saw in from that uh, perception that you yeah. can use anything to attain to this. It's not necessarily you go and sit in the Himalayas and you become a yogi. Because mm -hmm. uh, even if you see any of the greatest maestros of music or dance or any art form, they're almost like yogis. I was just watching um, Leela Sampson, uh, our recent documentary. I don't know if you saw it. Oh my God, just the um, clarity, the subtleness, the grace. Her path is dance and using mm. dance, she's become such a beautiful person. I don't know if you've seen that. Just the way she speaks and everything is like, you feel like she's really got some, she's gone deep into life in some way. Okay. If you look at any, in any of the maestros, even Maharaji, oh my God, when he talks about... Um, like for example, we had, he, I had gone to one of his workshop, one of his workshops and he was staying with my dance teacher at, at her house. So after, I think we all ate dinner maybe or lunch, okay. he got this little chocolate and he was eating it and he's like, wow, I, 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 this is all in Hindi. So I don't remember the exact words, but he said, um, how it's like how baby Krishna would eat butter, you know, <laughs> I mean, he just, his mind relates everything to his art form and then he'll see the leaves. Uh, the wind blowing through the leaves and he'll say you can see tigda, 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 in the, the wind of the leaves mm. and if you see any of his interviews you can see that he sees dance in literally everything he sees dance and the kids in front of him he can he he uses that bhava for his baby krishna kind of um pieces he he definitely sees dance and everything and that's basically what we are also striving in yoga we want to see the oneness in everything right so yeah it's it's all one path i think that's uh that's what i'm trying to say 
I guess yeah I, yeah thank you for sharing those anecdotes about about Maharaj I had no idea like uh, usually I always think of like you know there's a Kathak side of me and I talk then that turns I flip that switch on when I talk to someone about Kathak and then I flip it off and then I go about the rest of my life it's fascinating to hear someone whose entire life is just that in and outside of that environment so yeah really appreciate you sharing that and I guess my next question I guess uh, yeah is about to say when you're talking about Kathak, since you talked about, you know, having Kathak in your life and you're when talking about it from here in the sense of spreading it to a wider audience, uh, what, uh, in your opinion, what can be done about that? I think, like I was saying about relatability, mm-hmm. I really feel, um, uh, I, I think the biggest kind of a gap between people and the art forms is this relatability. We've got a niche dance community. I feel like we need to bring a little bit more relatability into what we present. I think mm-hmm. that would be take this art form to larger audiences, how it moves forward in our generations to come as well. Okay. And that makes sense why relatability would help reach out to a wider audience. And have you had any personal experiences like with workshops, anything where you've tried to reach out with people? And what's that been like? Would love to hear that. Uh, yeah, when I have done a few workshops, um, uh, more for, I've done one for, cause I, I always get this comment from elderly women who like, I wish I had learned dance when I was younger. You know, that's, that's a very right. common comment. Um, so I did a class for a few of those ladies and I didn't call it Katak. I just called it intro to dance, hmm. but I did bring in Katak because I don't, I mean, that's, that's, that's a big thing of my dance. Know, yeah. So what I use to bring that relatability for them is we just did very simple hastaks. Hmm. So for that, I tried to bring in stories. I don't know how your training is, but the mm-hmm. gurus that I have been to, my first guru, Guru Ashoka Rao, and any right. other workshops I've been to with the um, gurus, mm-hmm. they often use stories. Okay. Like, illogical stories to okay. make you show something on your face, show something on your hands. Like one thing I have... I often do um oh there's this hasta here right this one yeah. i yep. always say uh, for the little ones i'll say you pick up some bird food you throw it to the sky let the birds come and catch it and then you bring it back some some kata you tell but yeah. that brings in relatability otherwise you just say okay move it no 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 move it to this angle move a little more to this angle it's like oh god and it's a pain in the yes. whatever to dance like that to dance like okay do this this angle this angle that that doesn't your heart and your soul doesn't feel like just moving at angles all the time you know you have to bring in that relatability which invokes the emotion so the bird thing is good for the kids because kids would love Mm -hmm. to do the bird thing and uh for this also relatability one one other thing we had done in the workshop as an exercise is using the five senses using um trying to bring in all the five senses into this and when i asked them to share they often talked about things like what they have known in their life something about Mm -hmm. their lover or their husband how Mm -hmm. they are when they're doing this they feel like they're becoming shy and then they're looking you know they they come up with their own ways to relate with the very Mm -hmm. simple hastak i see so that's that's just a very small example of relatability for a student Mm-hmm. Uh, relatability I was also talking about more for the audience so yeah. before we show a holy dance yeah tell them what holy is because now we've got an, a multicultural group that's watching this and even Indians a lot of them right now are 
becoming more American than Americans. You have to kind of give some context of what is this holy? Why are we showing Krishna throwing colors? I mm. mean, maybe not spell it out like so much, but we do have to show, explain a little bit about that. I feel we have a responsibility to do that. This is how I um, have related with this. We talk about going into the Sahitya of the mm. East, right? reading it, understanding it, internalizing it. How do we want to express that to people? Uh, there's this whole internal churning that happens in order for that that Abhinaya to come out. It's, okay, what, what is churning? Churning in the sense, it's like a, a churning like, you know how when you churn butter, it goes like this, like this, right? So for yeah. me also, when I'm working on a piece, whether it's a simple toda or Abhinaya piece, I do a certain amount of churning, which is like internalizing it making it grow, evolve, looking at it in many, many different ways. Hmm. Uh, and then it evolves. And that depth of involvement shows in the dance. Okay. And I, I've heard Maharaj also talk about how some dancers you see them move and mm -hmm. the next day you forget about it. But some dancers, you'll remember that dance you saw when you were 10 years old. You remember even now. You know, there's, there's ones that you. He said the, the ones that stick with you are the ones that have gone into that deep involvement of the movement and they have shared that with the people. Um, I'm, and what you said kind of makes sense because yeah, I, I see a lot of videos and stuff, but I still remember your Durga Puran and I've only seen it for a couple of minutes. It's not, and I still remember it after all these months. And yes, a lot uh, like uh, the Urdha Hasta Chakra, the one that you showed is like a few. Whenever uh, any instructors or Kathakars want to tell a story, they usually everyone has an Urdha Hasta Chakra story and how they relate it to students. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so that does happen a lot. And yeah, my training right now is uh, is just technique. So we do, I do Tatkars, I do Hastaks and we do some Chakras and we call it a day because like, then we just kind of get trying to get me to a point where I can move on and do more. So I'm kind of just focused on that. So I was like, so to give you an example, I was doing say Chogun on a certain BPM. And then and now and I thought I got it, but turns out I wasn't raising my feet enough the whole time. So now I can keep the beat, but now we're working on like making it slap more so that those are the kind of things i'm working on and a lot of people do say that uh, they wish they started kathak earlier i don't I, I i'm pretty sure i wouldn't have stuck to it if i was a kid i was like nah this is not for me and i would have yeah. i would have noped out of it i think as an adult when you can pay your own bills and you realize why people are practicing mm -hmm. and you can make your own space for it it's easier than people someone telling you to go to class so that's i think i joined at the right time you when, actually rukmini devi um she started dancing, it seems, at 30, 31 or something. Hmm. Rukmini Devi, one of these, the greatest, one of the greatest pioneers of Bharatanatyam today, Kalakshetra. Right, right, right. right. Um, so it's, I don't, age and all that is not really a, a barrier, I feel, if you, if you mm -hmm. have that intensity. Understood, understood. And... Like since you're talking about like starting late in life and just life in general, how does a Kathak dancer being a Kathak dancer influenced the rest of your life? Uh, Kathak, as you know, is a storytelling art form. Yeah. And uh, when I started this, I, anyway, when I was young, I like I said, I used to always kind of dance on everyone's head, tell my own stories about making some roti, giving it to somebody, some random thing that I probably mm -hmm. saw my mother doing and I wanted okay. to dance that story out. Right. So that has kind of been in me for a while, but putting it to, like there's a calculation involved in Kathak, there's a mm -hmm. certain niche way of doing it. Um, so that has kind of streamlined things that I, 
I strongly feel now that I am actually into filmmaking mm-hmm. that has um that I would say that's like the fundamental of my filmmaking. I am used to doing that process of we've got this many avartans. Within this many avartans you have to tell uh this up to here Krishna has gone with his friends to the pot and then this avartan the you know you know we you know how we ha- we actually script out uh, a piece it's a script <laughs> so in the very same way when i'm creating a script for my videos creating a concept i also have my set of avartans okay we're going to make a 3 minute video within mm-hmm. these avartans this is all what we want to cover and then kind of refining that refining that so for me choreography has extended from the dance form to the to film is what i would say i i'm still very much on the path of both dance and filmmaking okay. but um, it it definitely influence each other in a huge way and same way okay. for filmmaking when we're uh trying to frame a shot in cinematography when we're frame good do proper there's a whole science of framing a shot in a way that it's most aesthetic to the human eye appeals to their emotions in the best way we've got proper lines does it sound like kathak to you <laughs> proper lines appealing to the emotions mm. framing our bodies you know all that is integral and then of course the costume and the colors and all that so for me there's just it's constantly shifting from one world to the other where i'm constantly learning from my filmmaking putting in my dance and vice versa so that's really beautiful okay and yeah we'll get into filmmaking soon uh, i just want to take a quick segue into something you said that uh, yeah, about ability because this is something i uh, whenever i talk to a lot of guests it's very interesting to me because if you have kathakas who've been you know doing it 10 10 15 20 years and some of them will say okay i don't know anything and i'm like I understand what you're saying but you saying you don't know anything is different from like a first year saying anything and there is like a lot of emphasis placed on humility when it comes to the arts but uh, I guess what confuses me sometimes is like understanding how they perceive themselves as well so on that note with yeah I guess I wanted to ask you yes you're a filmmaker you kind of started new but you've been a dancer for a while and everything so how do you perceive your ability and skill in terms of dancing and yeah in in terms of being a kathaka I guess Oh, uh, I definitely feel like a student and I don't see myself in this lifetime becoming a master of any right. sort. Right. I can teach what I have learned and right. I'm sure that will help people, but the more you keep going into it, the more you realize it's endless. The volume of knowledge, the tals, the type of first thing just the technical, okay. playing the tals, playing creating creation of um pieces creation of compositions choreography these are just the technical you know that that aspect right. then the whole internal aspect of um keeping the focus identifying how to bring nuance into right. a movement it's endless i i mean i it's not that i'm trying to be like okay humble not humble or anything like that right. it's really yeah. endless it's really like okay will i ever get it but at the same time it's not frustrating okay it's, exciting okay 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 so it's a continuous journey and you're learning more but and do you perceive yourself as being competent in certain aspects of kathak or do you feel even that is kind of far away or i i just i'm just curious, i'm always curious about how kathakas perceive themselves as well because i see the dance form and i see okay fine this is person who's dancing great but how do they see themselves is something i'm also curious about uh does my question make sense very much so i have danced a bit yeah. quite a bit So I have some experience. I yeah. I know a thing or two that enough that I can teach somebody else. Right. 
but um it's like like i'm going back to yoga i can't say okay i have been doing yoga for the last 10 years i've been doing yoga mm-hmm. now i'm a yogi it doesn't work like that and okay. it's still a sadhana sadhana is like you're still working on yourself you're still and in the end for me all these art forms indian art forms are very much related to the spiritual path so i feel until you are like i don't know in some other state altogether you really haven't mastered it because it's the constant sadhana right you have there's always some weakness to work on there's always a new place to grow so how i perceive myself is very much on the path and that's the only way i would like to perceive myself because i don't care to be known as a great kathak dancer that's not in that's not my intention that doesn't give me joy necessarily what gives me joy is that exploration that oh that that knowing that today's riyas has opened up a new world for me then i'm like oh, this path you know that's beautiful not okay somebody has said great things about your dance that doesn't mean a thing and i i don't like to hold on to that very long because then i get off my path right but of course we want our art to touch people so i can't say i don't care what anybody thinks about my art i'll do what i want that's not that's not the thing i right. i 100% want my art to move somebody i want to make enhance their life in a tiny tiny way um through my art and i want to, that's my intention but mm. uh i would say looking for that validation it, it even if it does crop up yeah it takes me off the path is what mm. i have seen so i try not to put too much importance on on those things okay. um because it just ruins the process for me mm. okay okay and then yeah so that's the one thing i wanted to ask you about like ability and how you perceive yourself because that's something that's always interesting to me to learn uh yes because like part of it is just like my internal qu- confusion like when 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 someone who's like so trained says i don't know anything i'm like what do you mean by that but <laughs> so i i always try to pro people more but now no, I, like I, the more you the more yes. you go into it the more you realize yes never ending and yeah. fun <laughs> so on that note what are you in terms of kathak what are you exploring these days since it's a never learn ending process I think I'm exploring uh of course technique is something I'm constantly working on um evolving because I don't think your technique ever stays the same as yeah. you change your approach to the technique also changes so that's something I'm constantly working on evolving changing thinking okay. how can I make it more impactful um so it's this constant refinement that I'm working on which I think is going to be lifetime work uh which leads to introspection it kind of helps me to work on myself on all all levels okay that really helps and um that kind of brings me to my next thing is about filmmaking i uh, guess yeah could you tell us a little bit about what you've been filming and if it relates to your kathak mhm so uh initially my filmmaking started while i was in the ishayoga center in india mm-hmm. i was doing a lot of research i was doing a lot of script writing i was doing a bit of video editing yeah um but it really blossomed more when i moved back to the us um because i started doing more of like hobby kind of video editing and that's when um video editing is almost all the heart of ed- videos always music at least in my um this is how mm-hmm. i see it that every video see when we create video we want to have some type of an impact on the person that's like uh, we have yeah. an objective right before we won't just create a video for the hell of it we want to have some either move them in some way 
have a call to action give them some something right so so like i was saying about scripting choreography i mm-hmm. see film also as a as a mini choreography a play of music play of uh, clips play of transitions and then also the going deeper into the cinematography the play of the framing how that conveys subtle emotions all that uh, i think that's where the overlap is and uh, i have so are you also filming yourself when you're fil- doing this thing yeah so i have been doing a bit of both uh, till now i have been doing uh, I- i've done a ads for local businesses and that kind of thing i have um pandemic i don't have access to a whole lot of actors or anything that's so i end up doing the acting the cinematography the editing the scripting the voice over and everything so um yeah that is like a mini choreography for mm-hmm. me in storytelling also is at the heart of both dance and uh, filmmaking you have to tell some story otherwise mm-hmm. it's just random clips it's just random hastaks you're throwing at people right so the storytelling um aspect is what and i think that's what has drawn me into filmmaking to start i see i mean first of all who does to you if you if you pick yeah you picked up filmmaking and you already getting gigs for it and running as that's pretty pretty impressive to get that done in such a short amount of time bringing it uh, yeah to, for my last question i am really curious to know what would you like your contribution to kathak be um my contribution to kathak i would like to first of all i would like to um definitely what has moved or touched my life in the deepest way is this um meditative aspect make it less about the dancer and more about the dance more about the art more about offering something beyond yourself mm. uh that's what mm, makes dance worthwhile for me when i can um move work towards that yeah thank you vidya for answering that question and that i kind of bring this episode to a close vidya uh, thanks for do- uh, first of all thanks for doing this again and so, i i enjoyed this conversation as well appreciate yeah, it yeah i enjoyed speaking to th- with you i always feel you have this very um genuine way of asking things makes it much more fun to speak to you as well so thank you so much